The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 163 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not my present or past employers. I would never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I would never only disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So I got to tell you, we've been having some pretty smart people on this show lately, and um, the show's really, really doing well. Thank you for listening. And tonight's going to be no different. This evening, we're going to have Jeremy Kelly on the show with us. Jeremy serves as the chief scientist for Exodus Intelligence. And in his capacity over there at Exodus, he leads both the research and engineering efforts for the company. Uh, he's been doing this for 20 years, and at one point or another during his career, he also served as the founding member of the IBM Security Intelligence Group. He's also malware and analyst uh, for CERT, working with federal law enforcement on a regular basis, and the chief data scientist for HPE ArcSight and Security Services. He's also the director of threat engineering for Carbon Black. Many of you know who that company is. And when he was over there, he was guiding all the efforts of all the data engineering detection capabilities for infrastructure assembled to protect millions of endpoints, millions of endpoints. So lots of talk to Jeremy about this evening. He's got great experience. He's a practitioner. That's why we like to have him on the show. And it's going to be a great show, folks. So listen all the way through. Jeremy, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hey, thanks, George. It's great to be here. Hey, so I want to kick off with the biggest story this week, and uh, you know, and that's solar winds. I mean, originally it was FireEye, and quite frankly, I think I think that FireEye deserves a lot more respect from the industry that they've been that they've received. Um, and I think I might even do a show on that if I have some time. But uh, just on that alone. But now it's it's really you know shifted to hey, you know, FireEye's the one who found the problem, right? They're they're the smart they're the smart ones who actually figured this out, let everybody else know about it, and it's it's just blown up to be a huge, huge problem. I mean, National Security Council is being assembled in the White House on a regular basis. Uh, solar winds, solar winds has uh, proven to be uh, the way that uh, the the bad guys, uh, whoever they may be, we suspect it. It's, you know, the Russians and APT-29, I think it is, uh, who have basically piggybacked off solar winds to get into all these federal agencies. So I got to ask you right out of the gate, what are your thoughts about this? What's going on? Uh, yeah, that is. So, yeah, let's have a short conversation, right? Uh, it's huge. We all know <laughs> this, right? We have in my career, like you said, 20 years, I've got more gray hair than I'm comfortable with. But I've seen these kind of epochal moments throughout the security industry. Uh, where, you know, probably the shift to ransomware was a big one, right? And uh, we had we had the shift to organized crime from the Play Kitties back in the early 2000s, where the worms became uh, way less fun to remediate and way more targeted, right? The malware just got way more active. So SolarWinds, to me, feels like, oh, I hate to say this, it's not a winds of change kind of moment, but... It feels like it is a moment that we will look back on in our industry of trying to protect critical infrastructure and say that's where things changed again. 
Uh, in particular, to your point, kudos to FireEye for, for crying wolf, for sharing detection capabilities on what they were willing to share. And um, I think that we're just at the tip of the iceberg on how bad this is. I think this is a, this, the timing was very strategic on the actor's part. Cozy Bear, as you put it, right? The Potentially the Russians. We're, we're not sure yet. Um, but I think the timing was was very strategic. They knew people were winding down for the year. They knew that that uh, folks are trying to get PTO in. So they they hacked the HR game, right? Which I've seen year over year over year. That's when insidious things happen at the really big organizations because at the end of the day, we're people trying to protect assets. And so... I think as January and February rolls around after the holidays, the number of compromised organizations is just going to grow and we're going to get almost desensitized to how big this is. Yeah. Is there any danger to the companies with uh, some of the tools that were stolen from FireEye? I mean, do they, you know, is there, how much, how big is the concern I should say over what was taken from FireEye and it can be used against, uh, you know, companies in the United States? Yeah, you know, I don't I personally don't think so. They they've done a really good job of of releasing uh detection signatures, you know, yarn and whatnot. Yep. And most of everything I've heard there is uh it was open source in nature. And you know, one interesting bullet point on this, actually now that you bring it up, if you look at what fire the the tooling that FireEye released, the targets that their tooling was targeting. And the warning that came out, what was it, early October from the NSA, just the list of CVEs that enterprises needed to patch. The overlap there was pretty high. And so what FireEye's tooling was targeting, the tooling that got, that got taken, it was targeting known breaches. They were not really, they were not using zero days in that capacity. And the tooling that released was not a targeting zero days. So I'm not too beat up or worried about the tooling that got leaked from FireEye. So one of the biggest questions going around right now is, you know, what is this the equivalent to back in the day? Is this like, you know, I heard one politician got on the TV the other day. I'm not going to say who because it doesn't even matter. But I guess the discussion was this is like the equivalent of Russian bombers flying over, you know, central United States, you know, and just, you know, flying through undetected. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that that's, that's you know, <laughs> I'm not sure if yeah. I equivalent that. I'm not sure if I agree <laughs> yeah. with the politician, but I, I okay. think with so the conversation is, what do we do about this? Like, where do we draw the line? Right. Okay. So I've got to, so I've got to tell you, this is not a red dawn moment. They're not rolling up through <laughs> our borders and we're not, you know, holding AK-47s on a hilltop on the hills of South <laughs> Texas yelling Wolverines. That's not this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what this is is this is the accepted awareness of something that has been happening for for years and years and years. This, to me, is just the most brazen and publicly discussed and acknowledged efforts by an actor of this caliber. Uh, the, you know, if I try and think back to what this may relate to, there's, uh, gosh, it was probably 2010, I would have to guess. And uh, there's go your your uh, listeners can Google this, but there was an effort by the FBI. I believe it was known as Titan Rain, and this was an old effort to try and uh, you know ferret out. 
I believe they were Russian. This coming off the top of my head, I should have done some research, but I believe they were Russian actors that were doing similar efforts here, right? And so this is not new. And all the people, all the security practitioners that have been yelling, you know, APT, our industry likes to grok, to grok, to grab onto buzzwords, I guess it is. You know, APT, scary, advanced persistent threat. It turns out it's actually scary and it is actually relevant. And so what we've got to do, again, I, I go back to thinking through long-term over the industry, we must do a better job of differentiating between here's the marketing about certain things that, that large networks and, and uh, defenders need to be concerned about. And here's the actual threat around it. And a lot of that takes, takes patience and education on the, the part of the experts. But yeah, to me, this is not a Red Dawn moment. And this is not a brand new thing. This is just further proof and realization of something that's been happening for years and years and years. So I haven't really heard too much from the White House on this. And I kind of feel like, you know, the impressionists are still trying to figure out what to do about it and what to say about it. And I really feel like there has to be a line in the sand that is drawn with these type of incidents. Like, what are the consequences, you know, if it's proven that it is Russia, right? If it's proven that it is Russia, what are the consequences from the, you know, to Russia from the United States? What happens from here? I really think that we have to, you know, establish that. And another thing too is, I, uh, who's in charge, right? Like who's in yeah. charge of this? So you have all these federal agencies that have been hacked. It seems like it's, you know, the target was really uh, sort of you know, espionage activities and not really, you know, stealing. It's just not a, a financial gain operation, right? So, but I mean, who's in charge of this, uh, you know, in the United States to lead this mitigation effort? Do you know? Do you know? I, you know, that is a, boy, talk about a loaded question. Yeah. So I have thoughts on that. I worked, like I said, I worked for CERT for a while and and spent some time uh, doing things there, kind of like your opening statement. There's, there's classified comments that I'm not allowed to make and whatnot, but you know, we all have that kind of stuff we've worked on. I felt like Captain Nerd America, right? It was great. I recommend everybody take a turn doing that. Um, and, and I worked pretty closely with US CERT which is out of Homeland Security. Um, and I learned there that even with response to cyber, whether it's FBI, Secret Service, uh, or other myriad agencies, a lot of times it it's, depends on the type of crime perpetuated. And here, to your point, this is a nation state that is in a coordinated effort doing things to our nation state. And so it can't be someone at, you know, the federal, at the FBI level or secret service level, they're, they're domestic. And yet, so who, who does respond? And we do need someone at, I believe that Homeland Security level, which is basically empty right now, to be honest. And the White House with the lame duck situation, again, the timing on this is so hyper strategic. We're caught a bit with our pants down from a leadership standpoint, Right. And so I wish I had a better answer, um, but we need someone to stand up. I, you know, I saw, I saw an interesting video from, from, uh, from Putin uh, recently where he was, he was questioned by a, a Russian reporter. And the guy said, hey, so are you to be blamed for the new Cold War? 
And in typical Putin fashion, he played it off as as there's no such thing. It's not our fault. We're the we're the victims. Uh, the guy's a, a <laughs> regardless yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of how I feel about his politics. He's a brilliant marketer. Right. <laughs> and um, we need someone at the White House level to stand up and say, hey, if we're going to participate in a new Cold War, we're going to play and we're going to win. And I fear we have a lack of leadership um, with an understanding of what it would take for us as a nation to really stand up and win a new cyber cold war. Yeah, so we just had the, the head of our, our, our cybersecurity infrastructure security agency leave. And that's a whole nother that's story. Right. So we're never going to get into yeah. that. That's a whole nother story that we could talk. We could do a whole show on that probably. But but now we have, you know, someone else that's in there. And you would think that, at least in my mind, maybe th- that person comes to, to mind. You know, that agency, let's put it this way, comes to mind. Let's, let's just keep it broad. That, that they should be in charge of the entire mitigation effort. Um, you know, if you go to their website and you look at it, like about CISA, it says it's the nation's risk advisor. They're the nation's risk advisor, working with partners to defend against today's threats and collaborating to build more secure and resilient infrastructure for the future. That sounds to me like they should be, that's their goal. You know, that's their objective. That's their goal. Right. So uh, I don't know. I think we, a couple of things, you know, we got to, we got to know who's in charge. We got to get some public statements out there that, you know, reassuring everybody that, that there's somebody on point. There's got to be somebody on point that they're running this whole thing. We can't all be doing, you know, separate things. I think we should all sort of be working together on this, but somebody has to be on point and we have to draw a line in the sand. We have to make, you know, define some rules here of engagement. What, 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 what does cross the line and what, and what those consequences will be if a nation state keeps doing this, because it's just unacceptable. We can't continue like this. So look, I want to ask you a little bit about your career. You know, let's, let's, let's swing back to that for a second. You know, I've heard of Exodus and, and, and conversations before, but uh, what is it that you guys do over there? And what's your, what do you do for the company? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's a, that's a fun one to talk about. So at Exodus, we do vulnerability research. It's, it's what we do. It's what we do. Well, we uh, we've been around for several years now and the original founders of the company came out of the zero day initiative and they were the the hardcore researchers from there and and uh, ZDA got acquired and and uh, these guys felt like they just they really wanted to focus again back on vulnerability research outside the larger organization uh, that they were acquired by. And so they decided to start this company and provide vulnerability intelligence to uh, agencies such as that that were fr- that were government and friendly to our government and private corporations that just needed to know what am i running on my edge and what has yet to be discovered by those who would be willing to share that and get it patched and so that's that's what exodus does is we do vulnerability research and then we provide that information in a very actionable way to enterprises and and uh, entities to protect themselves and it's, it's great. We're having a lot of fun. And in my role, I have the research organization. So all of these researchers, uh, look, they're brilliant. We've got, everybody says this, but we've got best of the breed guys that live and breathe um, this, this space at a very low level. And that, that is 
that is a large part of the company and the, the culture there is really special. And we're very careful to guard that culture. Look, I was going to name a couple of teams recently and we were kind of nerdy inside. And so we were going to name them after some X86 CPU registers, right? I was going to name an a, a team EAX and EBX. This is a register on Intel. It's a, it's a, it's a low level part of the, of the, the CPU, right? An Intel CPU and X, and the guys literally had like a three-hour discussion on what was the appropriate register names to use because the teams were kind of small. Should we use AX and BX instead of EAX and EBX? And I loved every second of the conversation because it really revealed their passion at a hyper-technical level. So the other, the other side of the coin that I lead here at Exodus Intelligence is I lead our, our engineering group. And this is the group that is tasked with building the toolings, building the integrations, building the pipelines that can help enterprises take this very low level hardcore research and make it very applicable in a defensive type uh, capacity. The, the, the other thing I wanna mention is we've been heavily investing in growing our in-day uh, capability. So instead of just focusing on zero days, we're really going deep and providing in-depth defense and mitigation on end days, such as the ones that were used uh, by FireEye and others in this huge solar winds debacle. So I, I would imagine just in the nature of what you do, that you're probably involved in a lot of investigations, right? I mean, maybe a lot of big investigations, depending on, you know, and I'm sure you're working with law enforcement and working with the companies too, probably both of them at the same time in some of these things. Um, do you have any, did you work any big investigations recently that you can talk about? Um, any stories? You know, we, how do I describe that? So for one, yeah, I definitely can't share a lot of things and we don't get super neck deep in investigations, but what we do is provide tooling that would be used by law enforcement for investigations. Uh, probably the, the one that I can share with the most happened a couple of uh, a couple of years ago there was an agency that actually wanted to go after some child pornography folks who were doing just, just hideous things and they couldn't get to them. And so people, your folks, your listeners can find news articles all over the place. The short version is we provided some tooling to, to catch these people via a vulnerability that we had found in um, Firefox that was used in the Tor browser. And that was able to help this agency take down this ring. And it's pretty fun, right? Again, I'm going to go back to the Captain Nerd America thing. In what other job can you do very hardcore, low-level research and see results where bad people are yeah. taken out of circulation, yeah. arrested? People doing bad things to people. You people know? doing bad doing things bad to people, people. yeah. And, and so, yeah, so we do, to your point, right, we do aid in certain things like those types of investigations where they're trying to get to someone that can't be. But that is not the core of our business as we find more and more that large enterprises need this vulnerability intelligence. A malware sample, there may be a thousand malware samples attacking the same, the same one or two vulnerabilities. And if anyone knows that the threat intelligence space, right, you know, it's a game of seconds. 
that that C2 server that the threat intelligence is talking about may only be alive for a minute or two or 10 minutes or 10 hours, maybe longer. Sometimes it depends. But the vulnerability that the malware is attacking, they're attacking either people or they're attacking where people are the vulnerability via phishing and whatnot, or they're attacking system vulnerabilities. We prefer to tell people about the two to three vulnerabilities and how do they mitigate, how do they detect those? And that's where we're finding great success right now. Talk about having a sense of purpose though. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, getting Captain up every- Nerd America. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, you know, that's cool. I mean, you know, you guys make fun of yourselves and it's, it's, it is funny, right? But, but what you do is so serious, man. I mean, you, yeah. like the, the lives that you reach out and touch by what you do every day is amazing um that that kind of thing really just um you you gotta feel good about yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror so um let's talk about these uh, vulnerability you said some vulnerabilities in firefox that you that you've exploited to catch the bad guys Uh, are we getting better at handling these vulnerabilities that are out there i mean is it getting any better is it just the same is it getting worse what's the story yeah okay so uh, you know Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and then we talk <laughs> about FireEye, right? So yeah, it's it's way better. And now we're looking at one of the largest events in the history of the industry in particular. Uh, yeah, my talking point on this one's a little bit blown up as I think about it. Uh, I will say this, exploiting vulnerabilities is actually getting harder. Um, it takes a specialist months to, to pop something like, to, to compromise something like a browser, right? Browsers are, in my opinion, as um, impervious, and impervious isn't the right word, as difficult to compromise as the well, as a well-written, you know, Linux kernel now. What's right? the safest browser to use? <laughs> oh, come on, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chrome is, is probably at the top of the list. Okay. And and All here's right. so to to that question, just I'll take this as an aside, right? <laughs> Chrome, the, the Google folks have done an amazing job on constant, constant, continuous patching and improvement. And so something that may be live in Chrome and and actively exploited, if it is found and discovered, it may take four, five, six chained vulnerabilities, chained exploits to get a full system privilege escalation or whatever out of Chrome, right? To get that full sandbox break. And so uh, Safari is surprisingly getting much better as well. Uh, Edge, you know, everyone knows Microsoft, (laughs) not to call them out, but they basically threw their hands up and said, okay, we'll use Chrome too, right? Like under the hood, the new version of Edge is there. And so the safest browser right now, it actually is Google Chrome, yeah. So I think that's, uh, you know, our, our, our listeners really want to hear that kind of thing. They want to get right to the point. Just tell me what they use. Just tell me what's the best. You know, what's the best, uh, you know, what's the best laptop? What's the best, you know, browser? You know, what's the easiest, you know, the safest email? They just want, that's what they want to hear. Because a lot you know, of these people just want to know funny. what's the best. That's a fair point. It's a legit fair point. You know, personally, as I consider this, you know, I've got a wife and kids. And I consider them hostile actors in my home network. Um my nine-year-old will will play things, and I'm like, why, why did you click that? That that's obviously bad. Well, I don't know. It looked bright and shiny, Dad. Right. Yeah. And so, I am always asking myself this question: What what should I have these hostile actors that I love dearly uh, using? And I am intrigued by the new privacy things being built into Safari as well. And I think the other 
I think Chrome's going to follow suit with some of that and not depend on extensions and whatnot. But again, uh, right now, today, I'm going to say Chrome. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, the threat actor taxonomy who's like exposing or I guess, you know, leveraging all these vulnerabilities that we keep finding out there and some of these, uh, you know, applications that we use. Um, usually we talk about these, this taxonomy with nation state adversaries and we have criminal organizations and we have terrorist organizations and then we like to call hacktivists and then insiders too, which could be a combination or, you know, one or a combination of any of those that are actually inside, you know, a company and already have access, uh, you know, to systems. And so they're farther along on the kill chain, uh, when you think about left to right, right. So that they're even more of a danger. So, but let's just talk about what's been in the news lately, you know, with, with the Russians and APT 29, we're constantly hearing about these nation state actors. We constantly hear about China's just a huge problem. I mean, they just, you know, they get away with murder in my opinion. I mean, they've just been stealing from the United States for years and years and years. And we've taken a stance on, you know, this, this show, particularly, you know, we pound away at it all the time. Like enough is enough, right? Enough is enough. Let's do something about it. So are these nation states, you know, are they cooperating with organized crime groups? Or, I mean, are they getting, uh, how dangerous are they? Like, what, what is the, what should, the, what should the, the, the average person who's listening to the show, who may not be in the cybersecurity industry, what they, should they know about these nation states? Yeah, okay. So I'm going to hearken back to a previous question you had to answer this question, if I may, right? Sure. You asked, is vulnerability... Uh, or is exploitation getting harder? And I'm going to tell you, it takes advanced specialists for some of the hardest applications. Now, how are these folks going to spend six months, some of the brightest people on the planet, mind you, going to spend six to nine months of dedicated time, like a full-time job, working to write these exploits? Well, Nation states do employ these. We know this. You know, your, your readers can, or your, I keep readers, your listeners can go and um, they can listen and, and, and find a list of the APTs. As an, as an industry, we are aware there are state-sponsored groups who have full-time employees doing this. I am afraid, though, that if we as an industry continue to just solely point fingers at the nation states, we will miss out. And I think you did a great job of framing this when you said, okay, so there's nation states, there's criminal organizations, there's terrorist uh, groups, and there's, you know, insider, inside players as well. Um, There exists a vibrant black market for exploits. So whether it is a nation state that wants to buy this or a terrorist group or whatnot, there is a vibrant that, that does not exist here in the United States. It is, it is global. And so we have organizations like ours where we are very strictly white market, right? We, we focus solely on, we're going to find vulnerabilities and we're going to, we're going to do disclosure to the vendors. We want to secure the overall infrastructure, but we're also going to tell our customers about those because vendors are swamped. Vendors are overwhelmed with a trying to get the new feature out and B, you want me to carry along this, this previously crufty code that's, that's buggy, and I've got to patch it. And so your, your, your people may be aware that if a, if a vendor is notified, there are oftentimes they'll ask for six months, maybe nine months before that vulnerability can be disclosed. And so that is a huge window of time where 
the people with the white hats have found it. The people with the black hats are actively looking. They may have found it or it may have been previously found before the White House found it. And so, yes, we must say, hey, nation states, that's not okay. And in my mind, that's a matter of state. And it goes back to the earlier conversation about the White House needs to put its foot down and say, you know what? You want to have a Cold War? You want to do, you know, back and forth and underhanded things and whatnot? We'll play that game, but we're going to take it seriously. But it is also a technical matter where we can't stop looking because the bad guys are not saying, oh, well, they've told people to stop looking for vulnerabilities, so we'll play nice too. No, that's the definition of a bad guy. They break all the rules. And so yeah, I don't I don't like the I don't I don't like the idea of us going, you know, tit for tat with them on, on this because I think we're at a, a serious disadvantage. Number one, um, we have more to steal. <laughs> yes. Right? Number two. <laughs> That's right. right. We, we like you know we have most of the advancements in some in in my mind in some spaces. I yep. mean, if you look at some of these you know uh, uh, Chinese uh, warplanes, I mean, come on, dude. I mean, they're a complete ripoff. That, yeah, I mean, completely. it looks suspiciously familiar to the untrained eye, right? Even yeah. to the untrained eye, right? I mean, for for the average person looking at some of the stuff, I mean, come on, man, it looks like you 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 took the schematics, you know, right out of the Pentagon and just built the thing, right? So I think. You know, uh, I, you know I, I don't think that's really what we should sort of embrace and say, okay. Well, and go. I'm not implying that we yeah. go tit for tat there. And I think what I'm saying is I want this to be a matter of state. I want our ambassadors to walk into the offices over there and say, hey, we're aware you did this. We, de- we consider this uh, an egregious act. And there may be economic consequences if you consider to do that, right? Yeah. I, what, so that's what I'm saying. When I imply... I want this to be considered a matter of state. I look at cyber warfare as just one weapon in that huge toolbox, right? There's cyber, there's, there's armed conflict, yeah. there's economic means. And so yeah, there's I, sanctions. I, there's, that, yeah, I agree, man. It has to be a 360 yeah. approach, right? To this, this, this problem. The, the way the, the internet time, is wanna... constructed, it puts us yeah. everybody at an advantage. Like you can't fix, at least in my mind, you can't fix the way the internet is, has been constructed, the way these applications are being constructed. I guess you could try, you know, uh, you know, having security by design, you know, from the very beginning in the whole SSDLC process to really integrate that. But it's, you know, the government's not in control of so much, so much of this technology, right? That controls our uh, critical infrastructure, right? right? I mean, it's yeah. crazy. And, and, and we must adopt things as, as security practitioners, we must adopt things like zero trust. Right. You know, 15 years ago, it was great for me to, to think that my enterprise was safe because it was shaped like an egg. The, the hard, crunchy exterior, the soft, chewy middle where all my applications lived and nothing ever got through. And if it was on the inside, it was supposed to be there. And, and we all know that 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 was not tenable going forward. Now, I advise um Several of my friends, I'm, you know, we all got these private networks of things where we share and people reach out and ask for just help. And I advise nothing is trusted, right? Now, what that means is I would not adopt technologies that would limit um, observability with inside my network, but I would also not trust any one application in a godlike behavior over my entire network. I must treat everything within my my network as hostile and just assume so it's the old trust but verify thing right jeremy real quick how do you know let's just talk on the defensive side to close out this segment real quick 
How do, how do vendors like Checkpoint and Fortinet, you know, Barracuda, how do, how do these people get the value out of these zero day and these end day feeds? Yeah. Whew. Okay. So yeah, just really quickly, huh? Um, <laughs> so they, the short version is they could hire a team of 30 experts and they could uh, hire these people and have a culture of, of research excellence, which is almost contrary to a culture of, of software delivery, right? I, my folks are not on a timetable where they've got sprints and iterations and they're running through and we don't do daily standups and things like that. These vendors that you speak about are software vendors and they need to focus on the features and functionality of their product offering. Where we come in is we can tell them now that you've got a product, do you know what you're going to detect with that? Well, here, let me hand you uh, some mitigation guidance or let me hand you detection guidance that says, look for this packet across the network and know that this is an O-Day. That's where those vendors can get real value out of us because they can't have a team of 30 people that are completely siloed just due to the cost. It's, it's, a, it's a scaling factor, whereas that's what we do as a business. All right, folks, we got to transition into commercial break here, but stick right with us. There's a lot more to talk about uh, on these topics in this episode of Task Force 7 Radio. So, hey, if you're a special social media junkie, <laughs> don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george at tf7radio.com. That's george at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the Chief Scientist for Exodus Intelligence, Mr. Jeremy Kelly. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. 
with forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the chief scientist for Exodus Intelligence, Mr. Jeremy Kelly. So, Jeremy, you know, we were talking about government agencies that were involved in this solar winds debacle. Um, we also talked about FireEye a little bit. What about some of the other critical infrastructures, right? Like, what, obviously, the, one of the biggest ones is finance. You know, what about the, the Goldman Sachs of the world, like in J.B. Morgan <laughs> Chase and those guys? Like, how are they, you know, what are they doing with this and you know, what are their, you know, how are their socks ramping up to defend themselves against this exploit? And does it have them thinking about what else could be wrong? <laughs> yeah, that's a, so that's a huge question. I'll try not to ramble too much. I have many thoughts on it. Um, they're critical infrastructure, right? If you, if you consider the impact, if, if we had a great economic hack across core financial businesses, like to your point, a Goldman Sachs, right? If it was coordinated across all of those and successful, the impact to the U.S. economy and to, to, to ordinary people's lives at the, at the far end of that financial chain, right? It's, 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 it's moms and kids and dads and, and all of those people. The impact would be huge to our society. And so they are trying their best, like everyone else, to, to ask the hard questions. Have we been compromised by this? Okay, were we running solar winds? Were we, did we have FireEye in here? Can the FireEye tooling hit us? There was a rumor the other day, I think it was Krebs who said, you know, the VMware One platform was also involved in some of this. Uh, our guys, as soon as that CBE dropped, we had a report in ours and we knew how to advise our customers to protect themselves. Because let's think about SolarWinds for an instance. This is a platform that provides observability, that provides monitoring and metrics into large complex networks. It's legitimately, a, it could be classified as a security tool. And this is how we were compromised. And so to the, to, to the point from the first segment about 
you know, um, we must treat everything as hostile. Solar winds by patching. I've heard from friends who are who are at certain places that are actually I've heard this from three different organizations now. We were behind on patching solar winds. We think we're actually okay. The gravity of that comment, an organization was so swamped, they couldn't maintain proper patching. And so they think they were not compromised. That is, that's overwhelming when you think about what it means to our on the ground, boots on the ground security practitioners. So what do financials do with, with kind of this information? Well, the sock is still as valid today as it was yesterday. You know, the pane of glass and how do we monitor and can we detect breaches? But there's this, there's been rumblings for the past three to four years in our industry that we've also got to adopt a hunt model where a simple one-off alert or a simple correlated alert for, uh, you know, breaches and activity isn't enough and we must go digging. That's what we do, right? We provide detection capabilities that would be really hard to write in an alert. And the financials can use that, are using that information to go hunting, to look for where have I been breached? Because everyone is breached at this point in some capacity. It determines what's the criticality of the asset that's breached. What is, uh, what's the lateral movement that has occurred due to that breach? Um, I've got a buddy who's a deputy CISO at a Fortune 100 organization, and they run a security scanner like every other Fortune 100 organization. They've got a large scanning infrastructure. These guys find so many vulnerabilities due to just underwater sysadmins that they've been trying to, how do they task, how do they prioritize, well, which of these vulnerabilities we need our sysadmins to patch first? because all of our networks are complicated. All of them are difficult to keep up to date. And so what do the financials do? Well, they've got to get smarter about how they advise their system administrators and their, their other staff in what do they prioritize. And not to sound too pluggy, but that's what we're doing, right? We'll tell you this one is more likely hackable than that one. This one's more difficult to exploit than that one. And that's what we're focusing on because we think that's how we can help. Honestly, we think that's where the value of this, this attack knowledge we have comes to play. So Jeremy, two questions. And one, no third party risk exercise in any one of the companies that SolarWinds services picked up on this vulnerability. Yeah. And is that, is that because how people rate solar winds, you know, the, no, the, you know, the risk, when they come in, what, what's the story with that? And then I'll get to the second question after that. Yeah. Wow. What a, okay. Uh, so George, you've probably seen corporate procurement documents where, where we stand, we hand a spreadsheet over with 200 questions asking about mm -hmm. their, you know, their software development life cycle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, these, this solar winds attack, was patient. What was it? Two weeks prior to it beaconing out for any kind of command. That's slick. How do you, so if you've got a patch that needs to be applied, how long do we wait now before we apply it? Just do we stand it up in staging and then somebody pets that sucker for a month, mm. three months? How patient do they want to be? No, I don't think solar winds. Uh, I, I don't think companies that were evaluating this software should get beat up too much because of how advanced this is. 
Now, the other side of that coin is we do need to evolve how we watch these things, how we deploy these things, how do we mitigate when something is suspect, right? That's but, my second question. So now let me get to that. So, <laughs> Go, it, so it's nine months went undetected. Yeah. Took probably what, what it can, could be considered is, you know, definitely in the conversation of one of the most, you know, impactful cybersecurity firms in the world to find it. And if, what if they didn't find it? I mean, I don't know. Would anybody have ever found these guys, uh, these, these adversaries and all these systems? I mean, how come a threat hunting teams across the globe did not find this problem? That is a fantastic question. Uh, I'll start by saying uh, you bring to mind a joke that I've heard for years that, you know, our industry suffers from acronym soup and some of them are right. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and what that means is, look, we say APT for a reason, advanced persistent threat. We now have the canonical example of what it means for someone to actually act like an APT, right? They were sneaky. They were slow. They were quiet. Um, this, by the way, to me, this lends uh, argument to the fact that it is nation state, not criminal organization, because criminal organization at the end of the day is a profit oriented entity. And so they would have done things that would help them in some profitable way. A nation state is a state-oriented entity. They have entity. They have different motives and different means. And in this instance, they acted that way, right? Now, what does this mean? We need to do as uh, an industry. I think that this one will hasten the adoption of threat. In my previous roles at ArcSight, I worked with I, I don't know a lot of Fortune 100 organizations. I, I won't drop names, but I've sat at the table, uh, the dinner table in the boardroom with, you know, CISOs drawn on whiteboards aplenty to point out, hey, you're, you're blind here. Hey, your vision is obscured on this portion of your network. Hey, you have problems with seeing, with seeing uh, valid traffic over here. And if you can't observe it, you can't measure it and you can't improve it. I think we're going to see uh, this hunt space really grow and things like vulnerability intelligence uh, over threat intelligence actually become much, much more relevant. Again, because the threat space evolves so quickly, but they're all using vulnerabilities at the end of the day. And I think we just have to be smarter about searching for things like that. All right, Jeremy, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, the Chief Scientist for Exodus Intelligence, Mr. Jeremy Kelly. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. 
By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the chief scientist at Exodus Intelligence, Mr. Jeremy Kelly. So, Jeremy, you know, we're talking a lot about vulnerabilities and how to get, you know, these vulnerabilities into the hands of the good guys so that they can do something about it. How do we inform our threat hunters in, in, our, in our socks uh, across the nation better? How do we do that? How do we get, you know, instead of just giving them threat intel list, right? Because we all know, you know, everything has to be intelligence led to be successful in my mind. It has to be threat focused. And, but just giving them Intel list is not, is, that's not, that's not going to carry the day. Right. So how can we inform them better, give them better tools, get them, get them better information and data, you know, quicker, faster, cheaper, that whole thing. Yeah. So I'm glad we've got another three hours to talk about this topic because uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. That's not true. Uh, yeah, that is that is a huge question, and there's so many things that come to mind in that area. For one, to your point, we just can't give them more lists that say, hey, here's a TTP. If you see it, it's evil. Okay, awesome. The odds of actually seeing one of those TTPs that are stale from 72 hours ago, 
Well, fantastic. By the time it's found, it's going to migrate, right? The internet's big and complex and hairy, and there's all kinds of fleas hidden all over the place. Not only that, but so just using the SolarWinds thing as an example, right? They, they actually, if you look at this APT actor, it's being said that they changed their TTPs almost completely to accomplish this. And it's right. sophistication they've never seen before, right? So what That's do you do? Right. Like, how do you battle that? Well, how are we enabling dynamic TTPs, right? For one, yeah. we've adopted a cloud environment because we live in this age of transient compute. Well, hackers, criminals, they're brilliant. They're not idiots. They have a different moral system, but they're hyper-intelligent. So they're going to use those same capabilities. They're going to use this whole concept of transient compute, which means... Instead of trusting, we know this house on that street has evil people in it, which is the old way of thinking, we must evolve towards how are the evil people acting behaviorally? What, what actual weaknesses are they targeting? We must evolve how we look for them instead of just looking for, I saw a conversation here, I saw this md5 sum of a file go across there and you know my friend joe and jill both said those are awful so let's not use those right that's the old way of thinking and in an age of transient compute with dynamic ttps we must evolve to look at a much more behavioral approach it's why i continually argue i prefer vulnerability intelligence to threat intelligence we also without thinking about what is the intelligence we're sharing, right? So that's one, the evolution of intelligence. But we also must evolve the tooling and capabilities that our analysts have. The old, um, the old way of, I'm going to have a signature-based tool, it's excellent if that signature-based tool is not focused on those same static TTPs, right? So our, our tooling that is doing the detection and firing off alerts to our sims and whatnot must also evolve to be more behavioral in nature, right? And to be more kind of root cause analysis even, right? Or at the core of the, the nugget of what is the lowest thing that the attacker is going to target that can't change, that is immutable, right? Well, again, I'm going to go back to vulnerabilities are people or software, people or systems, right? And um, so one... I'm not even going to talk about the whole phishing space and I can email you a zip file that's encrypted and ask you to open it. And the receptionist opens it. I, I've heard too many of those stories. That's excellent. That's a people training. That's an organizational culture. That is way at the other end of the spectrum. The thing that I'm talking about is part of the defense in depth that every org needs to practice. Let's go after that core vulnerability they're attacking. Well, the hunters need better tools that can observe those types of things. The other thing is the old, uh, the old adage or the old mindset that we have these walled gardens inside enterprises where the security org is separate and they carry around a big stick and they, they beat up on the IT org that actually owns all the systems. We've got to break down those walls. We've got to view this as a partnership. Our hunters, if they don't have visibility into the same – at a very simple use case, if hunters don't have visibility into the same logs that the network admins have, they're blind. They're not seeing. And yet org after org after org has these bizarro silos where that information is locked away. So from a threat hunting standpoint, if that hunter has blind spots, that's where the attacks will inevitably occur. So and Jeremy, real quick, real job. quick here. I want to talk about real yeah. last question of the show. You know, these vulnerabilities are being exploited by 
groups that are really non-sophisticated in a lot of sense. So what's that vulnerability market look like? What are these, you know, what do these miscreants pay for these vulnerabilities on the black market? Yeah, that's a great question. So it is, you know, it's, it is an, it is a true market in the true capitalist sense of the word, which is fantastic if you think about it. Um, the hardest targets could go for half a million to a million bucks, something like a mobile, right? Something like a Chrome browser, 250, half a million bucks. Windows LPE, Windows 10 LPE, uh, you know, 100 to $200,000, all the way down to a web-based application with, uh, you know, command injection. They may go for 500 bucks, depends on the app. And so, and those prices are constantly fluctuating uh, depending on, you know, the demand and the need. If there's three Windows LPEs floating around on that black market, well, obviously the price is going to go down. Um, yeah. So that's a, it's an interesting space to really look at. All right, Jeremy, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. That was fast. You know, that, that was like a quick, that was one of the quickest hours I've ever had, I think on this show. It was fun. Yeah. Was I fun. appreciate you. We got to come on, got to come back on again. You got to do oh, it again soon. I'd love to. All right, folks, it's time to bounce up out of here. I hope everyone is enjoying this special holiday season. Merry Christmas to you all. Please be safe, be healthy, Spend some time with some family if you can, and please take care of yourselves, and thanks for listening. All right? You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.